Good evening and welcome to the NFL Draft. Tonight, we officially welcome the next generation of players. So if you're ready, are you ready? Let's get it started. The NFL Draft is officially open. Welcome inside the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. I am Trevor Sikama. With me is Benjamin Solak. We are midway through. I guess I, I could say midway through because we got five quarterbacks down. And we're going to talk about at least three of them today. But I actually have a couple of other ones to bring to the table, as is the tradition when we kind of get towards the end of the week when we are grading these positions in our summer scouting series. Ben, so far we got five guys in. What do you think of this quarterback class? Do you have promise for it? Or are you really hoping that we're going to talk about some guys here on the back end that will uh, catch your interest? No, I mean, like, Lance Lawrence Fields, which I know that that's three underclassmen, so there's a good chance we don't get all three of them. But that's about as strong as it looks in the summer. you know. And, and, and like, if you think about last year, like last year we were like, oh, you know, Tua and Jordan Love and Justin Herbert. Like, that was our, we didn't even have Burrow on the radar. Two years ago, we didn't have Kyler on the radar. Three years ago, we didn't have Baker on the radar, right? So it's like this could get even so what stronger. You're, so what you're saying is, is that somebody that we're going to talk about today is going to win the Heisman. That's no. right. That's what I heard from you, right? No. Ah, that's what I heard. I think that's what I heard. No, no, no. At the end of this show, <laughs> we are going to say, okay, of the guys that we only talked about today, if you had to put $100 on them winning the Heisman, who would it be? Are you cool with this? Because I'm cool with this. I've, I've already, right, I've already, uh, are you cool with this because we're doing it? <laughs> um, I've already, no, I already wrote, like when I had, I had to do a, a Heisman long shot bet piece for the draft network. And without even the constraints of this podcast, the guy that I picked is a guy that we're going to talk about oh, today. Oh, a little cheating on your part. Okay. No, okay. A little I'm bit kidding. of cheating. That's fine. We'll just have to go to the judges, make sure that they know this information. Today, we are talking about Tanner Morgan, Kyle Trask, and KJ Costello. At least those three guys. I, I know I have a couple of more that I want to bring to the table that we can talk about, but of those three quarterbacks, Ben, I will give you the power of choosing where we kick things off in this group. I want to talk about KJ. Okay. Um, here's my notes for KJ. I will read them to you verbatim. He is bad. Give Costello's arm to Brock Purdy. Oh, that's kind of you. Those are my those are my those are my notes on uh Stanford quarterback KJ Costello. I like it. Um I want to talk about KJ Costello because if you scroll through Ben's old tweets, you don't. There's a lot of just not good things. A lot of just like, oh, that player ended up being bad. Oh, that take ended up being bad. But <laughs> there is a long series of cries for KJ Costello to start over Keller Christ, starting back in 2017, because I'm never really. Like when he was a backup and he would come in when Chris would get injured and he was just significantly better at throwing the football than Chris was. And this was when they had like JJ Ortega Whiteside and Caden Smith and it goes really Kobe Parkinson was really good at that time. This was like a good passing offense in Stanford and David Shaw would be like, Oh, it's third and six, you should probably run it and I want to tear my hair out. Listen, you've got to establish the run, man. You you have to. You have to establish the run. Very few coaches know that. 
Very few coaches have the mental fortitude to put away logic in what would get you a win in favor of establishing the run. And you have to respect when you see something like that. Stanford had like a insane offensive line for so many years. And then their offensive line coach went to Rice and their offensive line got bad. And they were like, what if we just kept running it? And it was like, well, then you're going to lose football games. And then every year, as happened every year, regardless of how Stanford performs, David Shaw was rumored to be a head coaching candidate. And so I just don't get that at all. But anyway, so Costello, um, he eventually gets that starting job in 2017. He starts in the entirety of 2018. He is pretty good like 2018 was not a bad season for Costello I thought at all. he was fine in 2018 because that was like you said there the year that we were watching JJ Ortega Whiteside and Ortega yeah. Whiteside was on the receiving end of some beautiful throws he really was right so Costello's peak placement is pretty good if you ask me like when when he gets a a back shoulder or a seam ball right I mean, he gets it right like that's a people in a really good spot big body 65 220 yeah he's, huge. Uh, he's got he's got that baseball release that we talked about. He's got that that Stafford release where he's got so much arm. Wow, to not him the Matt not Ryan release. Arm, not a Matt Ryan release. Mm, no. Okay. Just uh, just so the podcast knew right there. I just wanted to make sure everybody knew. It's, uh, Costello. He has so much arm. And I don't even mean that in the sense of like strength or velocity. I mean like physically. He is an extremely gangly human being. He is limbs, all huge, long arm. So it's really tough for him to have like a compact over the top release. There's just too much body there. So he has this little like three quarters release, which makes him look like a lot of times he's just like kind of guiding the ball in there. Like he's not throwing it 100 percent. He's got that little sidearm thing. But when he want when he needs to snap it, he'll snap that elbow. He'll fire it a ton of velocity. And like I said, his peak placement's pretty good. Um, his mechanics are terrible terrible Mm -hmm. and it's very interesting because i get why he transferred to leach at mississippi state when when mike leach was the head coach at washington state costello played his teams for multiple seasons and and washington state gave stanford a couple runs there you watch what he does with quarterbacks like luke falk and then gardner Minshew and then anthony gordon across your career and you say to yourself okay well i'm far more physically talented than all of these dudes. So if he can get this kind of offense out of those that those guys, I should join him and then we can do even better and then I'll go to the NFL the same way those three guys did, which is sound logic, but he's nothing like a leech quarterback because those guys are are small, pop gun, quick processing, throw mesh a hundred times a game yeah. and just make the defense wrong. And Costello is going to have to become a lot like lighter on his feet and smarter with the football if he's going to be as effective as those guys were. So he just does not – he doesn't look like Leach quarterback. He looks like Justin Herbert. I mean, he looks like Jake Locker. He looks like, you know, like under center and big, you know, traditional frame. That's why everybody's so excited about him, to be honest. Um, so he's got that big size. He's got that big arm. He's willing to push the ball deep way too much honestly but like I, i'm i'm very curious to see what leach's offense looks like with a quarterback like him under center because he is not what leach has been successful with at least at washington state for the last couple of years yeah that was my big note as well with him moving over to mississippi state and you know i kind of joke saying that my entire notes about him is that he's bad but i really don't think kj costello is an nfl quarterback like i, I think that they're 
so many ways that he needs to improve what he does to even be a suitable backup. I mean, well, now that I'm thinking of the NFL itself, you know, if you are tall and white and have a big arm, then you could probably make it as a backup. You can probably continue to cash those checks. So I guess it's it's still in the cards there for Costello. But he's just, the, the consistency is not there from him, whether it's, uh, his style, his approach to the throw, the result of the throw, it's just none of it's there for me right now. He is truly, if you ask me, and this is why I joked about this, saying give his his arm to Brock Purdy, he's just the arm. Like when I look at KJ Costello, and I, w- I was like you in 2018 when I was watching some of that Stanford offense uh, focusing on Arthega Whiteside, there were a couple of throws, and I remember, I-, I think I did an article on this. It was, I, I know I did one for Brian Lewerke, which, Great, uh, great crowd to be in. Um, yeah. it, Warky is not a good and is not a bad analogy for Costello at all right now. But it's kind of like, it, it, and and the premise of the article that I did for both of these guys was just one throw. And the idea of the article was if you take one throw that you can see in their game and go, man, that is that is either tough to teach or you just can't teach it, and they do it really well, then you go, that's something that can be a building block if the rest of this stuff is fixable. And for Costello, I think it was those back shoulder balls where he could fire back shoulder balls in 2018 to the sideline, whether it was to Arthega Whiteside or, or, or other guys. But outside of those throws, I just think that the whole of his game is so incomplete and it's so inconsistent and I would also go to say that it is ineffective and that's what makes it really interesting with him going to Mississippi State is that things are going to be so much different not only because he is moving from the Pac-12 to the SEC but because the coach and the style that he was under for three years the one that he committed to the one that he thought that his game was going to be predicated around is now going to look completely different. We don't know exactly what a Mike Leach offense is going to look like in the SEC. So I guess in that sense, you know, it's it's not going to be a carbon copy of what we saw at Wazoo. It's it's going to be a little bit different. I think it's going to be a little bit more balanced, but mm-hmm. still, it is Mike Leach, and so that's why you know I, I agree with you totally when we think of these Pac-12 super spread it out kind of offenses. Uh, we think of these smaller quarterbacks, these little scampering guys. I like that word that you used earlier this week, so I'm going to use it again. You know, these these scamper type quarterbacks, and and those are the guys who normally, uh, I guess, control captain these offenses. Costello's not that, and so it's going to be a very. I'm just very curious to see how this pans out because right now I do not think Costello is good. I do not think that he can really be an NFL player, not a starter, and and really not even a backup. I feel like I could find quarterbacks who have strong arms who could be better backups than him and so I'm really low on Costello right now but yeah. this year is is a, is going to be a total mystery box in what he can be and turn into mm-hmm. I think so the most interesting thing for me with Costello because I I, I do think he can make throws like he can make NFL caliber throws yes and like I, I said, do too placement is good you're gonna go from a Stanford offense which you know was more spready under Costello under like, you know, last year with the bad offensive line, like I was talking about than it had been in recent years, but you're going to go from a Stanford offense in which you were taking under center drops and in which you were taking, you know, traditional play action looks. And critically, I mean, even when you were getting empty protection, you know, one of the, the, the first things that you know is that when Stanford's going empty, they're, 
you know, shallow setting. It's jump sets and it's 45s, right? Like, like Costello takes a three-step drop and he immediately starts hitching up in that pocket. That is a completely different philosophy than what you're going to get with Washington State, or excuse me, Mississippi State pass protection. They're going to deep vertical set, right? And so you're going to have a, you're going to be asking Costello to manage the pocket completely differently. And that's a big deal because I don't think Costello is good at managing the pocket now, right? Like he is three step and hitch and it does not really matter what's happening around me. If that actually makes pressure worse, guess what? All I know how to do is three step and hitch. So here we go. And if he tries to do that early on with Mississippi State, he's going to walk into sacks from the B gap all the time. So he's going to have to learn how to like, shotgun five-step drop and then stay and just stand in the pocket and not be like he just so aggressive climb 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 that's not going to work for him so we talk a lot about how the the throws he's going to make are going to change and kind of stylistically what that, that's going to look like the most interesting thing to me that's going to happen with him is pocket presence because i think for all three of these quarterbacks and we can we can transition to the next one here oh what a smooth transition for example florida quarterback kyle trask there never, it is you, folks man it was seamless he just Thank you. He is really just proud. on top of his game. When we said like that we to, were turning uh, the page and upgrading the podcast at the beginning of the week, I'll admit I had no idea that we were going to make these kinds of strides this early on. But by God, did my co-host show up when we needed him to the most? I'd like to. Uh, I'd like to start by thanking the academy and obviously uh, my family has always been there through me uh, through all this time. I think that a lot of work was put into this by a lot of people behind the scenes. That those don't recognize. Anyway, Kyle Trask out of Florida, who I think right now more likable than Costello. Yes. But if you're asking me to circle the big problem, it's pocket presence. For Trask? For Trask, yeah. And I think that Trask... would say... Okay, so like I, I, I would agree with that, but I think it goes even further to... Let me make sure that I, I look at exactly what I wrote down here. No, go for it. I know Trask is your boy. Um, because so here's here's what happened with Trask. Trask was a starting quarterback in high school, his freshman season in Texas. Okay, Texas very hotbed for football talent. Um, he started his freshman year, and then proceeded to never start a game after that. Not because he was bad, but because there was another quarterback at his school by the name of Derek King. Never and, heard of him. And De'Eric King started those next three years. So Trask didn't even start at all since his freshman year of high school, which, you know, you're basically 15, 16 years old. He then goes to UF, sits behind Felipe Franks for, I think, a year and a half, two years. Can't remember exactly how long it was. But now he finally is getting into a solidified starting role as a junior. And for a lot of guys, you go, okay. This is his first time starting since high school. No, no, no. This is basically Kyle Trask's first time starting since middle school. He had one year as a starter in high school, and it was obviously it was high school level football, so it's way different. So when you say that Kyle Trask doesn't know how to manage a pocket, I totally agree with you. I also think that Kyle Trask is late on a lot of things, things that are not immediate and over the middle, whether it's mesh concepts or just in-breaking routes, slants, things that have are going on right in front of him. If it's not one of those things, I think that 
that Trask has a tendency to, not every time, obviously, but he has a tendency to be late, late to turn when he's reading his progressions, late to get to the next guy, and late on throws. The reason for all of these things and packaging it up with how he manages the pocket, he doesn't have the experience. I think that this is something that he is learning along the way because I would totally agree with you. I'm just giving a little bit of a con- little bit of context to it. He doesn't have the football reps to really mm-hmm. have that processing up to where you need it to be. So where I would definitely agree with you on the area of improvement that needs to happen, I wouldn't look you can't look at Trask and say he's a junior, he should have this down better by now because he really has not had the chance to get it down better by now. And this is just a really big year for him to see if he can actually put it together and really take that next step. And for Trask, in a lot of ways, this upcoming season is going to be really important. Yeah, you know me. I'm extremely big on experience, right? And and it matters to me the number of reps that you've gotten. And Trask not even having the high school reps is extremely important because there is ingrained habituation that occurs at every position in every sport, but in that, you know, the position of, of, of this specific sport that I probably appreciate the most as quarterback, it's pretty easy to see how much habituation is critical for a quarterback. Like you said, Trask was late on a lot of throws. I agree, but Costello's late because Costello's legs are 85 feet long and takes him forever to get into his drops, and then he moves his throwing can't really, platform. can't really fix that, but... Right, and then he sees it open because he doesn't have anticipation, and then he has that huge release, and then the ball gets there. Trask is late because I just I, I I agree. I don't think he has a ton of anticipation. I don't think he's he's felt a receiver about to break enough times to know this thing's about to snap open. I'm gonna get rid of the ball now. There are times, three step, plant, drive, no hitch, move the safety with the eyes, hit Kyle Pitts on a backside post. Oh. It makes you tingly inside, right? right. Like, so there's there's right. times with Trask where you see the 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 rhythm that you expect to see of a junior quarterback at an SEC program. So the the capability is clearly there. The issue with this conversation, because I, I think it, it is necessary, it's forgiving to Trask, and it helps us understand how good he could become in his final season and how he could he could garner the attention of the NFL. Drafting a guy on how good he could be means he will always go behind the guys who are good now. And while, you know, like there's, you know, we got these big three and then nobody really behind them that we love, there are players who are better than Trask now. I think it's a very interesting question to talk about who's the best quarterback prospect in the SEC right now Costello, Trask, or Newman. Because I don't love any of those guys. And I think that you could get to the end of this upcoming season and it's Trask. But we're putting a lot of chips on the table of Trask is going to get better with yeah, starting he's, experience. Right. He's he's got to get better. No doubt about right. it. Um also I mean also to note and I, I try to make sure that I have some some context here because obviously as a Florida grad I watch every single Florida football game. And so when Trask relieved Franks of his duties as the starting quarterback it was funny because this is the first real pocket passer the Gators have had since John Brantley honestly and John Brantley wasn't really any good so you could go back to saying that this is probably the guy that can move the ball through the air 
as well as anybody since Tebow. And and that's even kind of, you know, people would, would roll their eyes at that. And so when I watch Trask actually pass the ball in a traditional sense, I want to make sure that I have context with it and not just think it's the greatest thing ever because it's the first time I've seen it at UF in like eight years. So I try to put context behind that. But I think the experience thing is a big deal. I also think the fact that Florida's offensive line, it bad. Like, terrible bad. Like, you can barely even get anything going. And so when I was watching his film live over the last couple of years, I go, oh, you know, the, the short routes, you know, he's always throwing the short routes because the offensive line's not good. Yeah, the offensive line wasn't really helping him out, but also you could tell that the offense was kind of designed the way that it was to make it easier because Trask just struggles processing things faster when he goes to reads that are outside the hash marks and the numbers. So I think all of those things exist there, and it, it's something for you to say. I'm glad that you mentioned that the high though because there are some really really pretty passes from Trask um and that's the stuff where you look at it and you see those they're they're kind of few and far between right now but you just go like man that is something that you could really build off of and you hope that experience is the missing ingredient to really him kind of putting it all together and taking that next step forward as a football player and as a prospect for the NFL but it's just kind of a wait and see thing because there's a lot hanging on this season could go really far in one direction, which is pleasant, or it could stay the same or even regress, especially for what you think that he could be in the NFL. So that's right. kind of where that's kind of where I am on him. Right. So if you like, you know, if, if we step into the shoes of, you know, Kyle Trask phones you up tomorrow and he's like, what do I got to do to be better for Florida football next season and to get better in the NFL radar? And to me for answering that question, the number one thing that I need from Kyle Trask is I need him to learn how to get his feet to his second read. Because right now, Trask is drop, playing the body to the first read. He is not open. I will now put my hips directly into the line of scrimmage. Right? Like, you watch that LSU game, and and, and it's very exciting to watch a player in one of his first-ever career starts bring the seventh-ranked undefeated Florida Gators into Death Valley against the fifth-ranked and eventual national champion, LSU Tigers, because it doesn't get bigger than that, right? And Trask was admirable in that game. I thought so, too. But what you, what you know is that once things get ugly, the lower body completely leaves the process. He is not stepping into the bucket. He's stepping into the bucket of the bucket. Like, it's so bad. And that's where you get just ridiculous ball placement that makes no sense terrible throws and where you get panic throws right right now you know i i talk about things like habituation i talk about you know like you know having a, like a preconditioned response to things knowing that a route's going to come open just by feeling it over the amount of times that you've thrown it a good catch-all term for ideas like this is poise and trask is not poised that's where you get all right my first read was covered i'm bailing and yeah. chucking this thing to Kyle Pitts, even though Grant Delp is all over him. I'm chucking this thing into <laughs> it, the end zone. And it worked down the sideline that one time. Right. He, he put and, it on and, a dime. Listen, if we want to talk about quarterbacks bailing and just chucking it up to a target, don't worry. We're going to get to Tanner Morgan and Rashad Bateman in a second. <laughs> but, <laughs> but like uh, the, the Stingley interception in the red zone, it's not it's not a throw you want to make, Buster. Like yeah, you got to know how right. to eat that and get to the next play, and that's right. poise, right? That's understanding the game's longer than this rep. Uh, and, and Trask does not have that right now. And so I need from Trask in this offseason to whether it's playbook knowledge and, and, and 
working on understanding where my checkdown is going to be, how my checkdown is going to open up against various shells of coverage, whether it's getting out there and forcing myself through the footwork drills of being able to open to my left and then close to my right or being closed to my right and then opening to my left, but keeping a good throwing base. That's the, the number one thing that I've got to work on. I've got physical tools. I'm fine. And I've, I can make the throws when it's clear and open to me. But it's, it's when post-snap processing is required that Trask gets a lot of panic in him. And that's, as we've talked about, largely the product of the, the very few starts he has on his belt, under his belt. But the problem is, like I said, you get to auditioning for the NFL and you say, oh, I'm not poised because I haven't started. And the NFL goes, OK, well, you're going to get on our team. You're not going to be able to start because you're not poised. So that doesn't solve our problem. Right, right. So you, right. you that's where I got to see the movement in year two. No, he's got to get it. And this is just a, it's, it's a very interesting year that we're going to see from Trask because there could be a lot of movement one way or the other for his future and his potential in the NFL, no doubt about it. Ben, let's say that, obviously, the Fast and Furious reboot goes very well. Take the role, you run with it, it's great, it's a box office hit, it makes them so much money. And they're like, Ben, we want you back for the second one. We are committed to doing this whole series now. We're going to we're going to do the second fast movie and we want you to be the star of it. Is it called Too Fast, Too Furious two times because it's the second Too Fast, Too Furious movie? It's called Too Fast, Too Furious 2. Okay, just Too Fast, Too Furious 2. Yes. That's what it's called. Or Squared. No, it's cool because then when like people abbreviate it during the uh, the discussion on what it is as a uh, as an art form as a, just a beautiful piece of modern day you know expression, they'll call it TFTFT. The problem is, you already totaled your car in the first one because you went all out for it, right? I mean, that's, that's, that's expected. To. You got to go all out. You know, this is your this is your big break. You can't leave anything behind. Can't be reserved at all. And so you put it all out on the line. You said they could use the car however you want, and and now you need a new one. They need you to get a new car, and they're like, hey, the only thing is we just got to get you. You just got to have a new one when you pull up for filming. Ben, if you had to get a second car for the second movie, where would you go for such a car? Well, for the first car, I went to a place called rockauto.com. Okay, great place. So, I mean, it, 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 didn't, right. it didn't go wrong when you went to rockauto.com. But I say, so it seems to me that if I'm continuing to get the job, second place I go, rockauto.com rockauto.com you got to go to rockauto.com guys if you are in a similar situation to ben or perhaps if you just need a little upgrade in your car or you need a little fix here or there you can go to rockauto.com because they have been serving auto parts to customers online no matter where you are for over 20 years doesn't matter what make and model or, or model that you have on your car no matter what you were looking for they probably got it their catalog is super unique it's easy to find everything that they have in stock everything that might be coming in stock they've got people there to hey if you if you call them up if you've got a question for them you're saying hey i'm not really seeing this part or i'm wondering if this part works out a little bit better or maybe if you just have a general car question like hey this is what's going wrong with my car i'm not exactly sure what to buy, what a fix might be, what my next steps are. They can guide you throughout the entire process. They can really help you out there. I guarantee they'll be able to, uh, to to get you exactly what you need. If you happen to call them or if you just buy something online, if you know exactly what you need, if you write in the little box the word locked on NFL draft from the how did you hear about us thing, that's a really big way that you can help out the podcast, um, help us keep keep the lights on, if you will, and support us that way. So, whether you're in Ben's position and you're about to shoot another car movie or if you just need something to help out with your commute to work or wherever you need to go, 
You can head over to rockauto.com because they've got an amazing selection, reliably low prices, and all the car parts you will ever need. Ben, you talked about the third guy. You brought up his name not too long ago, Tanner Morgan from Minnesota. Let's hear about him. Yeah, Tanner Morgan, quarterback out of Minnesota. Man, I thought it was funny when people were like, it's okay that we don't have Trey Lance. We have Tanner Morgan in response to my tweet yesterday. Then I sat down, I watched Tanner Morgan, and I was like, brother, um, okay. Morgan was ridiculously— Yeah, Morgan was ridiculously productive last season in the the P.J. Fleck, and I do not know how to pronounce his last name— but the Kirk Karocha offense, which uh, Karocha now uh, goes to Penn State to be the offensive coordinator there with, with, with Sean Clifford, which I think is going to be really interesting and fun. Uh, but Tanner Morgan, he was just a little bit below uh, Justin Fields in terms of how he was graded uh, for PFF. I think he had the second uh, second best passing attempts under pressure at 9.6 yards per attempt behind Michael Cunningham. Uh, Must miss the Auburn percentage game. Under- We'll say it again. I said must have missed the Auburn game. Yeah. Uh, highest completion percentage under pressure. Um, just numbers all over the place. Highest passing grade when scrambling. I'm just like literally searching Tanner Morgan PFF and just like grabbing all of their tweets. So you go and you watch this offense. And brother, Morgan is going to take a shotgun snap. He's going to pretend to put the ball into the mesh point for half a second, <laughs> and then he's going to find Rashad Bateman or Tyler Lauren or Tyler Johnson, and he's just going to, does not matter the coverage, ball's coming out. And, like, oh, he's got really good scramble reps. He does. Some of it's designed. They roll him out. Some of it is there's pressure, and he's a good mover. You know what I mean? He's 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 a, a, a ski daddler. He is, I mean? he's, no, he is a really good mover. I I had, yeah, yeah. I have a note here that his I love his active feet. I feel like he's shuffling always around the pocket. He's bouncing. No, I I I his feet are active. I'd like him to be a little less active sometimes. Oh, okay. Sometimes so I mean, he's say, yeah. he's always on his toes. Now, does he make the right decision off of it? Does he let that maybe get ahead of what he should be doing? Yeah, that that could probably yeah. be a causation of that. But having. I think having nimble feet, being on your toes, being ready to move about the pocket when pressure is coming your way, or being able to set your stance and, and throw whenever you need to, I think is a that's a that's a positive. If you end up using that as a negative because you become too quick triggered in your processing and in your mind, that's not that's not because of your feet. You know what I'm saying? Does that make sense? Right. Here's my thing. I don't mind brisk feet at all. But you have to be heel in the ground to generate velocity on throws. And that's a rule of all quarterbacks. Now, if you've got a big arm, you can get away with it. You can, you know, on a bad platform, on the run, launch that sucker and be okay. Get velocity on it, get distance on it. When you are Tanner Morgan, Tanner Morgan's got to put his whole butt into a throw to get it moving, right? Like he's he's a full body thrower i know i noted i noted in the iowa game that i watched i went okay he just i watched him max out his distance at 49 yards yeah that was the the throw up the left sideline yes yes where he's like it and and if memory serves me that was a rhythm throw that was three step hitch and go it wasn't even like oh shoot he's open it was like i know i'm going to pull oh he he can't throw the oh shoot he's open throws he doesn't have the arm 
Right. So Morgan, like like Purdy has an arm that's worrisome. Morgan has an arm that's prohibitive. Uh, we got a limited range for this guy. And and it's like, oh, you know, Tyler, at one point uh, during the Auburn game, the, the announcers, he said, uh, Tyler Johnson has more receiving yards on slants than anybody in college football. And I was like, yeah, brothers, because he only throw Morgan. <laughs> yeah. in. Like, it's the whole offense. Yeah, now? but he can, dude, uh, he can, Morgan can zip the ball within 10 yards. I'll give him that. He could throw a pretty sure. zip on some, some inside 10 yard throws. Right. And I mean, like he's. He's one of these guys who you watch him and you want to be like, oh, he throws with anticipation. And I'm not convinced of that. I just think that he has to throw with a huge amount of trust because if he's not throwing that in rhythm, it, I mean, it's a one-route concept. Like, you know, like, like this goes back to the, the Karocha offense, which I, I really appreciate. You know, they're working the half-roll game, working the RPO game, working the play-action game, backfield motion, anything they can to move a linebacker, to open a slant behind it. Rashad Bateman, 13 yards. Tyler Johnson, 8 yards. We're just going to walk our way down the field doing that. But it's like you said. I mean, if we're asking him to put any sort of vertical strain on a defense, it's not happening. If we're asking him to get to a second read, I'll tell you right now, he's going to be on the run when he throws that football because he the, he's a pocket jackrabbit. If, if he's in there for a yes, millisecond a longer than he thinks he should be, bailing. Right, we're going somewhere. He's got uh, uh, fadeaway syndrome as well, little Kelly Clarkson, where he's just, I mean, three-step drop Wait, and singer? back up and back up. And fade away. Is that Kelly Clarkson? <laughs> uh, oh, the sun, into the sun. Gonna forget I'm the one I love. You got it. Make a wish. Oh, that's breakaway. That's take a chance. And break <laughs> away. Is that Natasha Bedingfield? No, it's Kelly Clarkson. No, it's breakaway. Kelly Clarkson. No, you yeah. you you nailed it. My mom's a big Kelly Clarkson fan, so I know I know I mean, a lot who of is Kelly it? up here. Who is it? Kelly? Kelly eight. can sing. Yeah, Kelly can rip it. Anyway, um, I, I like how my my description for a good quarterback is he can rip it. My description for a good singer is <laughs> she can rip it. Everybody can just rip it. It's just basically. I'm putting this, this on Twitter of uh, when I tweet out the podcast without <laughs> I'm a doubt. Fine with that. Um, moral story. So he's got right fadeaway <laughs> syndrome not, or breakaway syndrome. Where I mean, once once things are getting messy in front of them, he'll backpedal, 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 backpedal. He's trying to get so much distance between him and, and the offensive line. Which again, we talked about this with Purdy a little bit. To me, with Purdy, it's not great. With Morgan, it's like really concerning. So I've got bigger problems with, with Morgan than I do with Purdy at this stage. Um, so Morgan's, I think, your your classic example of like. Can you get an offense out of him? Yes, clearly. But you need a young man named Rashad to pull it off. And like, if if Tanner Morgan Tate told me anything, it's that I'm still extremely excited to watch Rashad Bateman film come, really uh, come wide receiver week. Yeah. Oh really yeah. I right like I having watched zero wide receivers. I've obviously caught Devonta Smith, Conjamar Chase, whatever. Rondell Moore, Chris Olave. Shout me, out. If you ask me to guess right now who my wide receiver one will be by the end of the wide receiver week, my guess is that I'm going to like Bateman the most, given what I've seen. Um, So with Morgan, yes, you can get an offense out of him. Uh, Admirable competitiveness. Pre-snap processing is clearly great. And like you said, he's got enough zip to hit a quick game. West Coast coordinators are going to say, all right, this guy can throw a stick. 
yeah, that's 85% of my offense anyway. I think we're good, right? Um, but just if you're asking him for anything more than that, I just think it's a it's it's a it's a bit of a difficult proposition. Yeah, I think that you laid it out pretty well there. I can see why people. I don't want to say are fooled because that sounds really harsh and it doesn't need to be that par- harsh, but I can see why people really like Tanner Morgan uh, because, like I said before, he's got the quick feet. Uh, so you, you see him bounce around the pocket. You think he's ready to take off at any time. He can be ready to set and throw the ball whenever he wants, and I think that that's good. And then, of course, on those routes that are in breaking and within 15 yards, he can throw to a spot. He can really have some pinpoint accuracy leading some of these wide receivers, mainly Tyler Johnson and Rashad Bateman, like you said. But outside of those things, it gets rough. It gets rough. And so I think he is a fun quarterback, but if you ask me, he is clearly like a college quarterback. That is what Tanner Morgan is. And so for people to say, uh, hey, it's okay that Minnesota missed on Trey Lance because they had Tanner Morgan. No. The answer is no. Uh, and that's kind of where I am with yeah. all of this. What I will say is I would, I, 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 I thought the Minnesota offense was great. I thought Fleck as a recruiter, Kuroka as a play caller. Again, if I'm mispronouncing his name, I'm so sorry. I should have looked this up. It's a little, I don't know how to say it. Light of the offense, and I expect the offense to be very similar next year, and it makes sense. I would be interested to see Morgan in a offense where quarterback run and read option is a much more primary part of it than it was in Minnesota. Because I do think he could, like I said, like if you're asking him for anything more than like West Coast keep you on schedule, it's a difficult proposition. Right. right when I said that, in my head, I heard quarterback run. Like that's what you should do to really try to get more out of him. I think that that he's got enough juice that and in quickness that like you could really base your running game off of read option or power read or whatever, yeah, whatever but, you want. Yeah, but we're wise. obviously, we're obviously not talking about like college football here. Well, I mean, we are, but we're not talking about Minnesota, how they can get the most wins out right. of Tanner Morgan that they can. We're obviously looking at it through an NFL lens. And even if you did something like that, and I agree with you, I think that that would be more, in line with, I think, how Tanner Morgan could help out an offense even more than he does now. That's good for college football. That still doesn't help you in the NFL. That still doesn't help you at the next level. I just think he's really limited. As a, That's why I said he's a yeah. good, he's a fun college quarterback. He really is. And he could be really exciting for Minnesota. And I don't want to take anything away from him or them in that aspect. But when it comes to the next level, he just seems really limited. Uh, oh, were there any guys you watched outside of these? How many was it now? Was it eight? Eight that we watched. Are there any other guys outside of that? Yeah. Uh, so right. So we watched eight. There's a couple of obviously big names that we didn't necessarily get to. Um, Shane Buscelli, who's a senior at SMU. They were obviously extremely productive last year. I watched and scouted Buscelli before I, the Memphis I, game. I did not. I did not watch him at all. Yeah. You know, so I, I watched him last year. I watched a little bit of his early 2019 stuff. So I haven't watched anything after that. Um, fun dude. Uh, I like him. We we have a a similar situation with Purdy and Morgan. I mean, the arm he's six one two hundred, probably soaking wet. He's two hundred. Uh, he doesn't have the arm strength to have the full field available to him, and then his pocket is management is extremely jumpy. Um, he's, he can be sharp in timing. He's got Reggie Roberson, which is he uses very similarly to how Morgan uses Bateman. Uh, and so it, it, it's a similar mold. Uh, I, I like Buscelli. I think that it's impressive what he's been able to do for his career at SMU. Uh, got a good offense there. I think he's going to have a fun season. But to me, he's right. He's in the Morgan family right now. 
Um, we didn't talk about Sean Clifford and Spencer Sanders, two guys who are uh, more recently growing into their eligibility. Clifford out of Penn State is a redshirt junior, extremely inconsistent thrower at this stage. Spencer Sanders is one of my favorites uh, as a sleeper quarterback in this class. Oklahoma State redshirt sophomore, nine games as a redshirt freshman last year before a thumb injury ended his season. Extremely dangerous dual threat player, ton of juice uh, as a passer, a lot of arm strength, a lot of power. Uh, wide open Oklahoma State passing offense really serves him well, can throw on the move nicely. Spencer Sanders is a guy to watch. Um, Desmond Ritter out of Cincy is a oh, guy yeah. that I wish, yeah, I wish we had gotten to. Ritter's a tricky one because there was a shoulder injury last season uh, that affected his game a fair bit. And then they also have uh, a recruit there. I want to look it up. I can't remember his name. Yeah, they probably um, they, do have at least one recruit there, Ben. No, they got a guy they like. Uh, they probably, yeah, have some recruits that they like. Shut up. Um, okay. <laughs> Desmond Ritter's our starting quarterback. Um, right, right. So... There's um they have a, a recruit behind him. I think his name is Bryant or something like that that they really like. Um, so there's been like rumors that it's a it's a quarterback competition. There's been rumors that's open. I think Fickle's been like we're gonna start with with uh, Ritter for week one. We'll kind of see where we go. Um, so he like even though he's an NFL caliber player at Cincinnati, may not be super locked into that job. So hopefully he's healthy. Um, but again, a wonderful mover, ton of arm talent, really nice velocity, good frame, good mechanics. Ohio State game was really impressive last year. Um, so Ritter's on my radar for sure. And then the big one that we didn't talk about is Kellen Mond. Uh, yep. I was going to bring him up if you didn't, because yeah. I, I watched a couple of games of him. Right. And, 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 and I'll hand it over to you here, but everything I've seen of Kellen Mond from the corner of my eye indicates to me that I'm not going to like Kellen Mond. Kellen Mond is a very interesting evaluation. Uh, took over when he was really young, just as a freshman at Texas A&M, former five-star quarterback. He is tall and he is He's got limbs for miles, you know, like it's just he's got the super long legs, the super long arms. He's a good runner. Right. He's got good speed. He's mobile. But everything that he ju- he does, just it, it looks awkward because of his body composition. And as I was watching him, because I, I've been pretty critical of Mond in the past, just been like, man, Mond can't play. And where I do think there's a lot of the areas of playing quarterback that he needs to improve, the consistency, the accuracy wise, just being uh, decisive with what he's doing, making the right decisions even at that. It just, it all gets amplified and multiplied because of how awkward he sometimes looks doing it. And I want to say that he's really not as bad as I thought that he was going to be when I was watching a couple games. Now, these guys that I'm going to talk about, I didn't get enough games under the belt to say these were like full film studies on them, but Kellen Mond won arm strength. Like, this dude can throw. He puts some zip on these passes. He has a cannon. And so when you talk about having the tools as a passer, he is tall, he is mobile, he has that arm strength. He, he's he got a similar build to, like, what Colin Kaepernick was. You know, this just long, lanky, mobile quarterback with a cannon arm. I mean, that's kind of the mold in which Kellen Mond is built here. He's got to get better with consistent accuracy. He does, no doubt about it. But there are some times where he puts his foot in the ground and even going to the sideline, you know, those outbreaking routes where he will fire that ball in there, pinpoint, just straight where the receiver's hands are. And and it's like there's smoke leaving his hand as he throws the ball out of it. And so it's super toolsy player. 
And I think Kyle Krabs has said this before from Draft Dudes and obviously our colleague at TDN. He he said, man, I just, I just can't quit Kellen Mond. I believe that's what he has said before. And that's kind of where I am because I was super ready to just write off Kellen Mond because over two years I've seen it. I've been like, man, this guy just – he doesn't have the natural accuracy. He's not going to be able to figure out. He can't get it done. But he has so many attributes that you quote-unquote can't teach that you're always going to be like, oh, man, like – this guy could be it. Like this, you know, like this might be the year for him. His stats are very similar to that of Deshaun Kaiser uh, when Deshaun was at Notre Dame. So that's kind of the path that he's on right now. And Deshaun was never able to get better. He was all tools and no production. He wasn't able to progress in the way that we needed to. And that's kind of the path that I see for Kellen Mond right now. And I say all that to say. Kaiser still had a lot of things that needed to get better about his game. And yet he was still drafted very high. And that's the way I feel like the NFL is going to view Kellen Mond. Maybe not maybe not that prolific unless we see a real uptick in his production and efficiency this year. But he is going to get drafted decently high just because of who he is right off the bat. Like the natural skills that he has. So that's kind of that's where I am with Kellen Mond. He's another guy that's it's it's very important to keep your eye on him and how he's progressing because the NFL, if if you give the NFL an inch to love this guy, they'll take it a mile. That's what I think. Um, other guys that I watched, and again, I was only able to catch one or two games of them, so uh, all of my evaluation is subject to change, and you cannot hold any of this against me. I did not hate Sam Ellinger as much as I thought that I was going to hate him. I don't no, think I, I'm I'm completely fine with Sam Ellinger as a prospect. Like, I he's don't just, think yeah. he's a great prospect, but like you said, there he had like he's fine. He really is. He had better arm strength than I thought that he was going to. I think that he's you know mainly just a one read and run. He's a read and run kind of a guy. He's got the snap. He's looking at his one target, and if he doesn't get it, he's a good enough of a runner to where he's probably taking off and scrambling and firing in the running lane and picking up extra yards. That's what Texas offense is all about. Positive plays. Keep going, keep going and getting yards every single play, and you'll eventually get down the field and get to the end zone. That's what they do. That's what Sam Ellinger is really great at. He was not nearly as accurate as he needs to be pushing the ball deep down the field, which is... I, which I was honestly surprised at how poor I thought he was with deep ball accuracy because I was actually more impressed with how he was in like short and intermediate. I was like, all right, he's putting some zip on these passes. He's getting to where it needs to go. And then a couple of times he was just throwing deep. I was like, dude, he's this. That guy was wide open. Like, what do you, you all like? All you got to do is hit him. And, and, and he wasn't able to, he just wasn't able to do it. Uh, so yeah. it, it was, he was fine. I thought that he was fine. Jack Cohn, I only caught one game of Jack Cohn from Wisconsin. Big, tall dude. If I think that he's efficient in the short to intermediate, but maybe this is just the game I watched. He was slow at like everything he did, and then I thought he would have a much stronger arm than he did, and I can't remember there's which like, game I was like, watching. There's like a subset of like Big Ten Wisconsin Twitter that like gets onto my timeline that's like, yo, Jack Cohn's a legit NFL prospect. And it's like, listen, just because you have not actually had a legit NFL quarterback prospect since Russell Wilson doesn't mean you get to forget what it looks like. That's you know what I mean? where like, I was. Is he, right? Re- remember when I said the thing about Kyle Trask in Florida? Like, I was viewing exactly. Kyle Trask as exactly. if, you know, Treon Harris and, and like those incapable quarterbacks for so many years at Florida. And I finally see Kyle Trask now and I go like, wow, this is the greatest quarterback that's ever played college football. And I don't think that's the case. And like, when I looked at Jack Cohen, I'm not going to lie. I thought I was going to see a better player. 
and I, and I and I just did. So that's right. kind of where I, I, I I'm not there on Cone at all. But there is like there's there are people who are like Cone, Wisconsin, we're back, and it's like okay, just because he's functional doesn't mean he's good. Yeah, and um, I, I don't want to say that he's going to be like terrible for forever. But in the one game yeah. that I watch, I thought I was going to see more, even from just a arm talent perspective, and I didn't see with Cone. I just thought he was he was watch, slow uh, with a lot of what he did. You watch any Michael Cunningham kid out of Louisville? No. Is he fun? Yeah. The only he's other guy fun. I have on here is Felipe Franks, and I have him dead last in my rankings because he's not good. Yeah. Um. So neither one of us really spent any time on Mac Jones, Alabama's guy. No. Uh, I watched him live last year. He was fine. Clearly, uh, this is a stupid thing to actually even say out loud, but like clearly not to a, um, the offense just even with all those receiver weapons, was not the same with Mac Jones in there. It'll be very interesting now with Judy gone and with Ruggs gone. Now he just has, oh, poor him, Jalen Waddell and Devonta Smith to throw to. But Yeah, he's clearly going to be bad. <laughs> I'm, um, not, I'm not sure. I, I didn't really put him under right. a microscope, so I don't want to talk too much about Mac. No, that's the thing. It's like, because I thought about it with Jones, and I was like, you know what, honestly, like, I... I'll after this season if he's necessary to watch then I'll watch him but like I'm not gonna like scramble to watch to his backup you know because he had a good game against Michigan in the bowl game like you know I just gonna like I'll, I'll wait on Mac Jones and I'll be late on Mac Jones if I have to be um but Michael Cunningham if you're if you're uh down for a fun watch that's Scott Satterfield offense ain't too shabby got some speed up there and Cunningham can run it and he can, he can pop that thing a little bit He's a lot of fun. I don't think he's going to come out anytime soon. But Louisville was was eight and five last year. They ended pretty solid, and they're going to, I think, be good this year. ACC is going to be weird. So I don't know if he has a big season, maybe. Um, but he's a fun one. Ben and I are going to reveal our top fives for the quarterback position going into the season on tomorrow's Fan Friday podcast. And then, of course, we are getting back to the Ask Me Anything format. It's going to get wild. It's going to get crazy. Until then, you guys keep it locked right here on Locked On NFL Draft.